When life as you know it is flipped upside down, we struggle to make sense of it all. Why would a good God allow this to happen? Hi, I'm Sherry Pilkington, your host of Finding God in Our Pain. In early 2018, the deepest questions of my life erupted when I unexpectedly lost my husband of 32 years. Since then, I've searched the heart of God for what he has to say about pain and suffering. In this podcast, we'll discover how God enters into our pain, shepherds us through our darkest valley, and out into the green pastures once again. I'll bring you firsthand stories from women who will allow us into their authentic struggle, along with professional advice from experts, counselors, and others who can speak to what it looks like to navigate pain. Join me as we discover God's answers to the deepest cries of our shattered heart. I was so blessed by the opportunity to have some time with author Crystal Day. Hearing her candid story about her journey from one of the toughest neighborhoods in Kingston, Jamaica, and into the life of purpose that God has for her echoed so many beautiful, deep things about the heart of God for his children. Even in the midst of the shiny objects of this life, the frailty of the flesh and the pride of accomplishment, Crystal instinctively knew there was more to life than her limited circumstance. She knew there was something bigger than herself and she would find it the unique person of Christ, and he would begin to reveal to her what is written on his scrolls about her. Despite the loss and heartache that Crystal is familiar with, it doesn't define her. She trusts God with the things that he has authored and finds peace in knowing that his sovereignty belongs to him. He alone has the power and the authority to create, restore, repurpose, and reclaim, bringing those that choose him home. Listen in and discover the weapons she used and still uses to overcome the pain and suffering she's experienced, such as poverty, being sexually molested as a young child, an abortion, rejection, murder of a good friend, identity crisis, and most recently the loss of her 21-year-old sister. Satan meant it all for evil, to shut her down, make her mad at God in order to separate her from discovering the calling that God has on her life. But you'll be encouraged to know that Crystal is a book and business coach at Daylight Publishers. She's the founder and trainer at Christian Coaches Alliance, and she's an award-winning author and speaker. And yet, should all the accolades be gone tomorrow, she is content to know that her identity rests in the God who is extravagantly in love with her. I want to welcome my guest, Crystal Day. Thank you, Crystal, for being here. I deeply appreciate you. Are you home in Jamaica or are you here in the States? I'm still in the States, finishing the the holidays. (laughs) Finishing the holidays here with family here? Yes. What do you guys enjoy about Christmas? Like I think about food or family customs. Um, Yeah, definitely the food. We're Jamaicans. (laughs) So the food, um, I know we played games and watch TV and just chill. I think most of all, we have been chilling. Chilling is probably top of my priority as far as de-stressing, just enjoying family and having a good time, making memories. I'm so glad that you're here to talk today about everyday life, how we might be achieving things through what the world's value system is, but we still come to a point where we may have it all. And then we're questioning that there's something still missing. And I think that was your case. Tell me about your life as a young child. You said you lived in Kingston, Jamaica. That's a tough neighborhood. I was born and raised in Kingston, Jamaica. Um, There are different aspects of Kingston, of course. You know, you have the more middle class, upper class. But I was born and raised in what we consider the ghetto, or they call it the projects in the U.S. So, you know, growing up with a lot of poverty, um, there's just certain cultural things about growing in the ghetto. You know, boys, a lot of the boys, they become gunmen or, you know, 
a lot of the girls get into prostitution or, you know, just mediocre jobs. Um, so that's kind of what I saw around me for the most part. I tell people that, you know, I give God thanks for my parents that they saw value in education. So from mm. a young age, my siblings and I were taught about the value of education and we were told that the only way out of situations like this in from the inner city is to get a good job, to get a good education. So, you know, that's the part that I, I went through, uh, trying to ensure that I'm always top of my class, trying to ensure that I got good grades and always desired to get a degree. So in my head, once I got a degree, I would be able to get a house, I would be able to get a car and I will live, you know, happily ever after. Right. Right. So you acquired those things. You got a, what, a house at 25 and a car, a job at 16, a full-time job at 16 and went on to get your master's degree. So you were definitely checking off the boxes and uh, excelling even in an environment that would not have necessarily promoted you to excel except for your parents. You had to have some sort of desire or some sort of knowledge because you can talk to your kids all day about going to school, but if they don't buy into it, then you're really talking to a wall, if you will, what made you buy into the fact that education was the way out of poverty? I think I was just very motivated. I'm the eldest of five children and I was motivated to do life different for them. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it was so much for me as in it was for them, uh, ensuring that they see that there's another opportunity. I do remember also there was, you know, a few persons from the community, young girls that I would see that they're going to good high schools and, you know, they will walk past. I would want to be like them. And those were some of the girls that were going towards something that's different from what I saw many of the other girls. So I think there was just something deep within that always told me that I needed to be different. I needed to be a, a leader or something like that. So I think it was just innate, <laughs> God-given. Okay. So personality character wise that was already created in you. And that does speak to the importance of when we live our life, what we model for other people, you were encouraged or motivated to see girls going places. And you saw that through the lens of their education. And so that motivated you along with having a little pressure with four younger children. So there's some motivation there because of you being the leader, if you will. Yes. But that's not a bad thing, right? No, no, definitely. <laughs> it wasn't. Well, in my case, definitely. I am so grateful for them. Because um, as I said, it kept me on my lowest days to keep going for them. Now that I'm a Christian, I feel like that's what Jesus, um, he wanted. He wanted us to not be so focused, self-focused, but mm -hmm. focus on others. Um, when you think about it, Jesus didn't come from, to die on the cross for himself. Mm. He came for us. So he saw a bigger motivation than self. I think it's now even bigger because now that I speak and I write and I coach, the truth is I don't do these things for myself. You know, it's fulfilling me, but I'm fulfilled because I know that I'm able to be a blessing to others. So I'm, I'm now grateful and see the parallel of doing it for my siblings, but now able to do it for others. Mm. The true heart of a Christian who knows the heart of God, because therefore yes. you have died to self or these uh, levels of dying to self is the more you get to know Christ. And it does make for a good witness where we sacrifice things in order to provide for others. A minute ago, 
you just mentioned something about they were your motivation when things got tough. So you're in this environment where you're going to school. What are, were some of the things that really challenged you to stay engaged in school? Everything, <laughs> everything that a teenager would go through. <laughs> I remember we used to attend Catholic church. Uh, my dad, my grandma on my, my dad's side, she used to visit Catholic church. So I think, so I was also christened. So my brother and I were christening Catholic church. So it just felt like every now and then my parents would say, hey, you need to go to church. You know, I don't remember anything ever, ever learning anything in the Catholic church than knowing that I sat there <laughs> on a Sunday and it gave me an excuse to come out of the house on a Sunday. Um, when I became a teenager, the community that I lived in, I remember a friend, a, a, a schoolmate of mine, she used to visit a church down the road. Again, I visited that church because I wanted, I, I just always wanted to be out of my house. Um, not because my house was anything, I just loved the road. <laughs> I, I just always on the road, you know? So um, I remember visiting churches, to be honest, but that was like more getting older in the teenager years, but I didn't, I always knew God exists. I always prayed. When I was younger, you know, you always say the bedtime prayer in Jamaica, everybody's almost God-fearing, so you hear a lot of gospel songs, you kind of know that God exists, mm. and I think somewhere deep down, something told me that one day, you know, this Christian life is going to be yours and I have an aunt and I remember going to the country with her uh, on holidays and she prays over us and we have to go to church a whole day with her so I kind of have an had an idea of what church was um, and that God existed but you ask the question you know what were some of the the, the distractions I mean I was a teenager growing up in inner city the music I used to party a lot so I started to party from like 13 years old I remember you know boys um <laughs> I mean they, I didn't do like drugs or you know I, I wasn't into smoking and I wasn't one of the girls that wanted to get a lot of tattoos and stuff I think there's us the, I've always had two sides of me there's a fun you know go go get enjoy yourself party I could dance very well but there's also another side of me that always felt like one day I will become the prime minister of Jamaica or one day I will be a big something in corporate so I had to ensure that like tattoos and things like that are not so I've always kind of be able to balance two sides of crystal Mm -hmm. I hope you get what I mean. <laughs> I do. I do. Because that's interesting point to make that we feel called to something bigger. And the fact that you were even processing that to the point you were making decisions today based on your future that you innately felt that was your calling or that was going to be you something that you wanted to fulfill experience. I think that's exciting to think about you can already have those feelings regardless of what your environment says, and then you can uh, look to God to, to bring those to fruition. One of the other, I say stumbling block only because of the age, but you said pregnancies at young ages were very prominent in your area. And I think you said you experienced that as well. My mom said, you know, there's this exam similar to SAT, but in Jamaica, we call it sexy at a time, right? So it's a high school leaving examination so in Jamaica you know when you get six is a big thing because that's your entry to university and your entry to the job world so I remember my mom always said to me I can't stop you from having sex but wait until you at least read 16 or at least finish 
um, getting a sexy subjects. So that way, you know, you are more on a, a path to your success. So I, while most of my friends started having sex, probably 13, um, they're about, I was able to hold out longer because I made a promise to my mom that I would at least get my sexy. I never heard that sex before marriage was wrong. Or I don't remember ever hearing that until I got saved until like twenties, you know, in mm. my twenties. So at 16, I, you know, you, I got the CXCs and like, yeah, it's my time now. And I got pregnant. When I got pregnant, I was, I don't know how to describe the feeling more than utterly depressed because for me, that meant that my life was over and my automatic response. But by then, I would have had quite a few friends that would have done an abortion before. So my automatic um, response was, I am pregnant. I must do an abortion. So at 16 years old, that's what I did. You've gotten through school and you've gotten this test that lets you know what college you're going to or what next step you're going to take. It sounds like you're set as far as you're 16 and you have a full-time job and you are contributing to the family, I would imagine, at that point. Yes. Yes. And you're looking at further education. Yes. And so you eventually get your master's. What did it feel like to get your master's? Well, actually, it's funny. I completed my uh, bachelor's degree in business management. I, I did school part time. Um, you know, that that alone was God, even though I wasn't a Christian, like I bargained with God, you know, because there's no way nobody in my family has ever gotten so far in education. There's no way that we could afford it even though I was working a job, but God was so faithful, so, so, so faithful that I was able to complete and, and get my college education. And uh, I started my MBA and in the process, I re-surrendered my life to the Lord because I'd gotten baptized in 2009 and I started my master's about 2014, 13, 14, I believe. And in doing my master's, I felt the Lord saying this I need to pause and go to Bible school so I didn't complete because the Lord told me one retrospect he was showing me that education had become an idol in my life mm. education was good but I felt that this was only I was you know you were taught this was the only way out it made me somebody it made me this is how the Lord started to teach me identity also, because for many years, I was just, oh, the ghetto girl who managed to come out of the inner city to make it, you know, that was my identity. She's very bright. Um, and I was not focused on, you know, who I am in Christ. So stopping my MBA, it really was a very a challenge who I am, because who I'm who am I? I had to stop and ask myself, who am I outside of these qualifications? Who am I outside of the job? Even when the Lord led me to leave my nine to five job and to start a business, when people ask me, what is it that I do? Like I was, because at the time I was working my full-time job, it was, I was a senior procurement officer of the forestry department. So it was like, it sounded so good. And when I stopped and somebody asked me what I did, I was... I'm an author. Mm, yeah, but what pays the bill, you know? So right. in 
in all of that, I saw God just showing me over and over who, my, who I am in him and not being caught in that. Well, I love that God does want us to define ourselves based on him because all of the things that we try to acquire here in this life or the roles and titles that we ascribe to, they can disappear. They can go away in no time. We lose our ability to see or to, uh, we lose limbs, whatever it is that shifts our identity, but found in him, it's consistent and it's never ending and it continually grows. And knowing who God is, is a process of revelation. And I'm especially interested in the fact that he is showing you his faithfulness, even though maybe you're not walking as strong as, as you should, or as you might, or as you will. But I love that he doesn't pre-qualify us on that, that he still pours himself out. He still makes himself available. He's still faithful. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. You said you accepted Christ at about 2008, was it? 2009. I had a boyfriend when I was 16. um, And fast forward, I don't remember the year, but he died. Mm. And I remember when he died, it was was so traumatic for me um, because we were very, very good friends, even though we weren't together. Um, We were very good friends. He was so young. He visited a girlfriend and the girlfriend boyfriend came in and shot him. Mm. I've had persons died before, but I've never had somebody so close to me. This is the first time I'm experiencing. And I remember there was just a God consciousness that always comes with death. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, life, te- oh, temporary life is. Mm-hmm. And sometime in between that, I started to visit churches more. And, you know, I kept visiting different churches and just kind of, you know, praying and saying, Lord, you know, if you're real, just show yourself to me. And I know that, let me not say if you're real, I know that God was real. But I was like, you know, show me my place, you know, because I could die at any moment and where would I be kind of thing. And, the, the push though I had two boyfriends so I was very promiscuous in the world and it so happened that both both of them left me and I don't know about anybody else but if, if you have been through heartbreak you know you feel like your heart is literally right. coming out and I remember going to church and crying unto the Lord like you know um this is not how I want to live. You know, I want to be a better person. I want to be different. Just, you know, show yourself to me. Let me point out. So I've visited a lot of church, but a lot of the churches I visited spoke of the, the wrath of God, judgment of God. Mm, yeah. I would go to hell. But this church that I visit was started to visit, they spoke of the love of God the forgiving God, the God of grace. And there's something about hearing that made me feel like I wanted to experience that God. Mm -hmm. And that's what, that's when I gave my life to the Lord. And I would say not unfortunately, but fortunately, um, I didn't, I don't think I was discipled properly. So the part about that the God told, told, tell us that we must forsake the things of the world. I didn't, I didn't forsake the things of the world when I gave the Lord my life to the Lord. I still wanted to party. I still wanted to keep my same friends. I still wanted to, I didn't want to have sex, but I know I knew that sex before marriage was wrong, but I was with somebody and he wasn't a Christian. So it was very hard for me to kind of hold out. And 
in somewhere in between, I got pregnant. So I was still going to church. I was very, I would say I was very active, but I was still going to church a lot. And, you know, again, when I got pregnant, how the pastor um, treated me, not of shame and disgrace and, oh, we have to sit at back bench. But again, I experienced the love of God through the church, through my pregnancy. And in 2013, the beginning of 2014, I resurrendered my life to the Lord. By now, I started to really seek the Lord and understood that in order for me to truly walk with him, there were aspects of my life, um, aspects of things that I I'm doing that I had to forsake. And what do you think the value of forsake, forsaking them? Why would God call you to forsake those things? Um, I think definitely that I could not um, walk out my full potential of who I am if I was if I am in fornication, if I am going to party still, um, if I am keeping the same friends, and not that I had to cut off my friends, but I had to surround myself with like-minded people that wanted purity, because I mean, for me, let's be real, I am a, I was a young girl, I think I was probably about 24, 25 there about, I was a young girl saying I'm a Christian with a child, so in my mind, initially, it was which man of God is going to marry me, Mm. which man of God is going to want to wait for sex before marriage when they know that I already had sex because mm. I had a child. And it took a renewal of, I, I hear I talk about identity a lot. It took a lot of renewal of my mind to see myself like God sees me and know that believing that any man that God is going to send me, he would honor me and honor my body and know that I'm a new creation. Mm. If I, if I was still pursuing the same company, I would not be able to understand the fullness of who God is and who he has called me to be, because I would always be busy trying to be who they want me to be and to fit in to that circle. And their minds are not renewed. They don't understand what it meant to, because they are not saved. So they don't understand the walk of um, true surrender and obedience and all of that I had to learn, but also then plug myself into friends that are pursuing that so that I had accountability along the way. Hmm. So you're even talking about two identities. I had an identity in one group of friends, and then you were able to understand and grow in another identity. Well, actually, yes. you would have grown in either identity, but you chose the one that brought, uh, in my opinion, life and yes. uh, new life. Yes. And then the word surrender... I was having a conversation with somebody not too long ago and they did not like the word surrender. It felt weak to them, which I then tried to explain to them that it's a humbling. I get what they mean when they say it's weak because it's a form of humble. But what do you think the strength or the power of the word surrender, the action of surrender does? What does that release? You know, it's very interesting that you're asking this question because on my podcast, The Diary of a Jesus Girl, I did a podcast called Surrender is Not a Cost, it's an Investment. Mm. So that idea of surrender is that I have to give up this, I have to give up that, I have to give up this. But I believe that we need to speak more about the investment because when you think about your cost, you're always losing. But when you think about an investment, you lose so that you can gain greater. Mm. And I don't think initially I understood. So yes, initially it seemed like I'm giving up things. It seems that I'm being weak because I'm choosing to do things God's way. Mm. 
Mm. And if persons see like that, then surrender will always be very challenging. But if you understand, for example, if I sacrifice buying Michael Kors bag now and buying, going on the trips now, even for a year, and I sacrifice mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. I give up that and put it towards my debt-free journey, then at the end of the year, when I'm totally debt-free, then I can I can enjoy all the investment that I made. And I see surrender as that. I see surrender as there's a flesh that needs to die. There are some things within me that needs to to be laid aside so that the true me can come out. And I've seen the power of surrender, uh, (laughs) like the life that I'm living now. There's no amount of education that I could have garnered, no matter if I got a doctorate, that I could be living the life that I'm living right now. There's no amount of connection that I could have received and tried to do in the world's way to be who I am right now. So I have seen the the investment of surrender. Yes, giving up the partying, giving up the sex, giving up the friends, uh, giving up all even some dreams that I thought that, you know, I had to do it this way. I had to do it this right. way. But giving all of that up and now seeing the return, seeing the souls that have been impacted by my books, seeing every time that I speak, people being transformed and delivered, um, even just the ability to travel, um, you know, like how we grew up. <laughs> we should not be in, in overseas like I'm traveling three four times for the year like growing up I could not imagine that right. in my future you know having buying a house at 24 buying a car like <laughs> like but God has been faithful it's interesting to me and it makes me want to ponder that if we can get to connecting with God early on in life and what our identity is, if we walk in that, it sounds like not only do we meet whatever we thought we were going to acquire, but you get to do it in a way that's so rewarding. You maybe have less striving. I'm not going to say that it's easy because there's sacrifice along the way, but less striving to achieve that which God already had for us. I love how you make it an investment. I'm not saying that, oh, we should surrender only because we want to receive things from God. But then it's it's like automatic response. It's similar when you surrender and say, God, you know what? I want your idea for things. Because in your word, it says, you will do exceedingly abundantly more than I can ask, think, or imagine. Mm-hmm. So if I believe that, it means that whatever I'm going to ask you for is smaller than whatever you have for me. Because the truth is, I would always think limits because I'm going to think about my bank account. I'm going to think about my connections. Right. I'm going to think about these things. But right. with Christ, he says, you know, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. So it means that, and I'm co-years with Christ, everything that Christ has access to, that I have access to, the word of God says that, you know, greater things that I will do than Jesus Christ will do. Wow. You know, when I get the revelations of the scripture, I'm like, you know what? My little idea, let me just pause. Because even when I wrote my first book, I was like, so excited I wrote a book nobody could have told me that in January January 2020 I would have written several books 
five bestsellers, not just that, um, I've helped over 200 persons to write and publish their book. Huh? Wow. Huh? In 2016, when I was writing my first book, that, that's all I could think imagine you understand i'm sorry i just get excited when you get me excited (laughs) because it's true his value system is different than ours so i understand what you're saying with regard to what we think we want versus what he wants to give and i i believe that we find those things out when we press into him and spend that significant one-on-one intimate time with him and asking him questions like, Lord, I'm thinking this, what are you thinking? Or this is the situation. What do you want to be for me in this situation? So these are like, to me, the joy of knowing him and the payoff of that investment that you're making. Backing up just a little bit, you've become a Christian. You had that abortion at 16. Did you ever go back and talk to the Lord about that? Did you address that with him? The the word of God tells us the enemy is here to kill, steal and destroy. And it means that he's the enemy of our soul. So he's always trying to fight against your potential. He's always trying to fight against you using your gifts to be a blessing to others. Mm -hmm. So when I rededicated my life to the Lord and I started to seek God on purpose and I saw God, you know, using me to pray for people and be an encouragement to people. I remember distinctly the enemy came at me regarding not just the fact that I did an abortion, but also that I was sexually molested, um, that I was very promiscuous. And I remember just one day, one picture in the day, I remember being in a deliverance session at church and I felt this is almost like a weight, a heavy weight that came upon me that told me that I cannot speak anymore. Mm -hmm. I cannot write anymore. I need to shut up because I am and nobody, and nobody's a Christian would have ever done these things. And God has not forgiven me. And I can distinctly remember going home that night and having a dream like I was in a, a cemetery and hearing the, a baby cry. And I remember waking up just crying out. I mean, I would have repented once I gave my life to the Lord and understood what sin is and what, you know, the repercussions of sin were. I would have repented from doing that. I repented from the life that I would have lived and asked the Lord to change me and help me to become a better person. But the enemy still felt like he had, he wanted to use that against me. And I think it was just encouragement, I, I believe, from the Holy Spirit that kept coming back to me to say, you know, you are a new creation. You're a new creation. You know, all things have passed away. All things are become new. Um, your sins are as far from the east and to the west as long as you surrender your life to the Lord. And the truth is, um, I just had to keep reminding myself of these things. And one of the things that the Lord told me was to put it in my book. Mm-hmm. No, remember, I would not have told my parents that I had done this. Um, it meant nobody really knew. So a week before my book came out, I called my parents and told them. And I think the biggest thing was when I had the courage to talk about it, the enemy couldn't use it against mm-hmm. me anymore. Nice. I think that was the biggest thing. I was in the bondage of sin. I did not right. know Christ. So my my actions and my reflections would have been of the enemy of you know the the God that I serve which is Satan at that time because I didn't know but now that I'm in Christ I'm a new creation like there's nothing that I could have done that would have um that Jesus didn't die for I think that was liberating Jesus died for everything that I would have done so that I can know 
choose him over and over again. So yes, I did go through a, a season uh, and probably a few days, I believe, of this feeling of, yeah, like condemnation and shame mm -hmm. and guilt. But once I decided to walk in the true freedom of Jesus Christ, like I ran with that freedom in Christ. A couple of points that you make. One, you're in church when you felt that heaviness come on to you and that condemnation. So Satan enters into whatever environment. He's not afraid to come in and walk in and attack you in the father's house. So always be able to identify, okay, this is not my father, God. This is somebody, this is something else. This is evil that's come to destroy me and condemn me. And condemnation is that first signal yeah. that it's not God. This is uh, yeah. Satan. Yeah. And, and then I love how you rewrote when the lie would pop up, you would rewrite that lie, dismiss it and rewrite it with the truth of who you are in Christ. Now, I hope that some women find freedom in that if they are living in guilt or shame or condemnation for having made a decision uh, in a context where they could not have responded to God's value system had they not known him yet. And even then, if they have been a Christian and still chose abortion, Christ shed his blood for that. It is covered. So just the fact that you walk in the freedom of what Christ did on the cross, that is powerful. That is new life indeed. I think the biggest thing is that as not just women, but as believers, is that we really have to spend time with in the scriptures to, to get clearer on who we are in Christ mm -hmm. because the truth is like Jesus when the enemy presented it himself um, Jesus had to use the word of mm -hmm. God to let Satan know his place right. many of us don't know what God has said about us mm -hmm. because we don't know it means that every time shame, condemnation, or any other feeling that you come, depression, mm -hmm. right? Um, these feelings come upon us, any kind of illness come upon us. We scour down um, because we don't know the words to say to the enemy mm -hmm. so that he can flee. And I'm not saying that as a Christian, I get it right all the time. You understand? Right. Because as you said, as a believer, we do, um, we do fall, we do fail, we do... But one of the reasons why I feel like I keep getting up is because the word, the, the word of God says, you know, that word as I eat in my heart so that I could not sin against you. I try my best to, to not just read the word and read scriptures just to tick off my Christian, you know, mm -hmm. oh, that's a mm -hmm. Christian thing to do. No, but help the word because the Bible tells us that the word is life. The word gives life. So when I do read the word, I'm able, to, I'm trying to see where I fit in, you know, where, where, because when the time come, I, I would be able to say to the enemy, to my flesh that, you know, flee from me. And that word does indeed send him running at the moment. He has to, there's nothing he can say to come against the word of God. Earlier, when you were talking about the church you went to, and it began to talk about the love of God instead of the rod of God, it made me think of the Bible verse that God's kindness is what draws us into repentance. It's God's great love that casts out fear. So I, I love what is afforded to us based on God's great love for us. I think because, all right. We know that there's the wrath of God, the judgment of God. Um, we know that, right? And I do know that some churches preach grace and forgiveness and, 
you know, the love of God um, so much that people don't realize that, yes, there is still a judgment of God. So okay. I've always told people that everything in Christianity, I've seen God as is, there's a balanced approach to everything. Mm, so okay. there is an extreme of, oh, prosperity gospel, God died so you can get rich but he but so you do have some pastors mm-hmm. that preach about that part but then you have some preachers like in the inner city and stuff will tell you let you feel like oh the poorer you are the closer you are to god when you're wow. struggling to buy food so i do believe god has just taught me everything there is a balanced approach mm-hmm. right so mm-hmm. god didn't die to make me poor is most of the times is because of our money choices um, and because of our lack of money, understanding what money is and all of that, how to manage your money, why we are, we stay poor, right? So there is stewardship that is needed, but God didn't die for us to get rich either because he died for us to be reconciled with his son. But mm-hmm. the, if you do follow the principles of the word, you can gain significant wealth, you know, like Abraham and, um, you know, Jacob and many of these oh, persons. Solomon and stuff mm-hmm. so I do believe in the balance approach so yes preach love but I do believe that we must be exposed to judgment because judgment will come whether we want to admit it or not key distinction that God is the God of love but he also is the God of judgment and it is important you're right and those two are indeed a balance So Crystal, you have had to face some pretty painful things. Um, You mentioned you were sexually molested. You had an abortion that you didn't tell your parents about. There was the rejection of the two boyfriends and one was even murdered. You cared very deeply for them. And so that leaves a mark on your heart. You were pursuing your master's and then the Lord called you to pause, take a different direction. Even that kicked in an identity issue because the Lord brought out some things to you personally about how you attached yourself to education and material things. So there's a challenge for any of us, but yet you were going to face another painful loss in your life. Can you tell me about your sister? What was her name? Was she the youngest of all the siblings? Her name was Nayoka. She's the youngest for my father. So my mom has five of us, four of us for the same father. And then she got married and she, um, we have a little sister, but she was the youngest definitely for my father, which means that when she came, um, you know, I was like probably about 10, 11. um, And my parents had just almost split when my mom found out, but she was a pride and joy for like everybody because she kind of kept the family a little longer, mm-hmm. you know, because they were about to split. Then mom found out she was pregnant and then, you know, she kind of kept, but she was just, uh, honestly, she was a blessing. Um, yeah. She was a joy as a sister. I always tell people, you know, you always think about the little annoying sister. Yeah. No, I was the big annoying sister. <laughs> so I'm the one that annoyed her. I'm the one that... I think she leaving us um, has left a big void in our hearts, not because she was just family, Mm. but because she was a confidant for everybody. Her best friend described it as, um, you know, she had an angel for 21 years because they Mm. would have been in high school from they were 10 um, coming up. And 
that's how it felt. It felt like we had lost a guardian angel. You know, mm -hmm. my brothers took it extremely hard. My father took it extremely hard for at least more than a year. We all, because we always have a button. Um, normally I have my button, but you know, I've learned over the last two years to not wear, you know, to kind of mm -hmm. still have her in our, my heart without, you know, walking with her. But I mean, every time we're traveling, everybody, <clears throat> Yeah, she was a gem. She was a gem. Um, she was very creative, very talented from she was like eight years old. She could comb here and, you know, she was into makeup while I'm the opposite. <laughs> I'm just getting into makeup and, you know, like I'm, but, um, you know, when she got sick, so she just eventually just felt ill. Mm -hmm. She had started a new job. Um doing something in graphic design and you know she just kind of felt ill one day and I took her to the doctor and uh, you know a few days after they kind of call in our panic mode that we should come come see them um immediately then they told us that her blood count was low but you know no worries they can do a blood transfusion and um you know she'll be up and new I don't know if some in somewhere in doing the blood transfusion or something um somewhere in between by the time she got home she got worse mm. um and then when she got worse you know I took her back to the doctor and the the doctor that we were using at the time was a public hospital and the the care was just horrible and mm. you know I had some friends up another hospital that I had called and they're like yeah bring her to that hospital and you know, um, it just kept getting worse, right. kept getting worse. And I tell people, I think the one of the hardest thing was to see my 21-year-old sister in a, like a diaper, right? Unable to help herself. It was really a, a very scary time for us. Um, and then they told us that she had platelet issues and it was just issues upon issues and we needed a million Jamaican dollars to do a surgery, um, you know, to get platelets. And it was, we just kind of watched her just become different, you know? And I remember one at a time she was in a hospital and, uh, you know, in the night, the, 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 the nurse, we were very close. So the nurse called me and like, oh, you know, your sister is not going to, she's like making a lot of noise on the ward. And she said, if you don't come, nobody is in, the patients won't sleep. Right. So I had to drive out of the house, like 11 o'clock in the night, go and spend every, so from that, every night I would stay at the hospital with her until, you know, she felt a little better. And she kept asking, you know, if she would die. By now I would have led her to Christ already. Um, when she just got ill, I had led her to Christ. She was a little bit hesitant because she's like, I want to become a Christian, but I don't want because I'm sick to become a Christian. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I was telling her there's no wrong reason to come to Christ. And um, yeah, she came out of the hospital, you know, um, and here we are thinking that she was doing better. Um, you know, she, you know, she kind of, her, her, her figures changed because they said she had an autoimmune disease. So the medication she was on started to make her swell. And she was a beautiful girl. She was mm -hmm. extremely beautiful. Mm -hmm. One night, I just remember she, it was a Thursday night and she called out my name. And when I ran up, go around there, you know, she was like, I'm, I'm feeling 
pain or I can't feel my hands or something. The Holy Spirit told me that it was a stroke, but I'm like, she's 21, 21 year old, do have stroke. And I started to pray and rub olive oil on her. And she just kept not feeling better. My brother and I decided to just carry her to the hospital by now because she said she could feel one side of her body. And yeah, they about a few days, um, this was a Thursday morning. No, this was the Tuesday morning now. Um, she was on life support and the doctors told us that if she if she didn't start breathing on her own, so her heart was beating, but she wasn't breathing on her own. Right. So they said if she her heart stopped beating, they wouldn't have, you know, resuscitated her. I tell people I feel like she was waiting on me to come to the hospital in the morning because the night before, you know, a lot of prep, you know, the pastors came and right. prayed with us and the whole works. And I remember I said to the Lord, I'm going to go to the prayer room overnight to just pray and pray and pray and pray. I personally was begging the Lord to take me. Like I literally begged the Lord, like, Lord, she's 21. Right. I am 31. Like I've lived a full life. You know, I've lived a good life. I've written books, I've spoken, I've done a lot for the gospel. Mm -hmm. You know, just take my life in exchange for hers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, allow her. I know that even though I have a daughter and it probably sounds selfish, but she would have been a great aunt. She was a great aunt. So I, I didn't have any problem feeling like if I die, my daughters would have been, my daughter would be in bad hands. I know that mm -hmm. they would have taken care of her. But when I went back the Tuesday morning, I felt like she was, the Lord said, I shouldn't go to the prior room. I should go and sleep. And I'm like, no, I can't sleep when my sister is on life support. And I remember I saw her in her dream um, that night and, you know, she was just looking good. For me, I thought that that was God saying that she won't die. Right. But I guess it was God saying that if she dies, she will be okay. Mm -hmm. And this is the first time I'm sharing this story publicly. <laughs> Thank you for trusting me with it. Yeah, I've, I've never had this conversation with anybody before. When I went to the hospital, my brother and I were there and he, we, he stepped out and I was there just kind of talking to her like, you know, like, girl, we have the world to go and take over. You can't leave, you know. Mm -hmm. And I've like, why she couldn't move, I could feel like she was saying, you'll be okay. You'll be okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, and then her heart stopped beating and you were with her yeah well I it's funny because I was with her and then I stepped outside to call my mom to tell mom that you know she's still breathing because by now we thought she would have died already so I stepped out to say mom you know she's still breathing and my friend which was one of the doctors came out and said once you walked out as you walked out she stopped breathing I went back in I was talking to her like you know please just kind of start mm -hmm. I tell people I was there for an hour expecting the Lazarus moment I expected mm -hmm. that her heart would stop beating and then you know 15 minutes after the miracle and she started to cough and you know she come back to life mm -hmm. yes. and um, it took me probably more than a year to not believe that one day she would have she would have wake up it, it sounds crazy, but I really thought that God, even after a year, somehow God would have, um, you know, saved her. But I guess, you know, it has gotten not easier, but more manageable. Right. Right. I think uh, for my personal experience with loss, with the loss of my husband, it's the crushing weight 
of the immediate loss and that separation, the pain of that has eased. But the fact that you remain separated continues to bring pain every day. And I think that's a process too. I will add this. I did put my hands on my husband and ask for the Lord to restore him. I could feel his hand growing cold, but I prayed and asked the Lord, you know, we have that example of Lazarus. And I do believe that the Bible gives us examples of how we can uh, believe in God, ask God for things, believe God for things. So why not try? So you're believing God for a Lazarus moment. You don't get it. What are you saying to God? You know, I don't think I had much of a conversation with him because she died the 4th of December. Mm -hmm. We didn't have much conversation until about sometime in January. So you did the, you know, you know, the routine prior, you know, keep me safe, et cetera, et cetera, kind of thing, feeling numb for weeks, having to go on social media, you know, um, everybody telling you condolences, right. having to have the conversation with more than one person about, you know, the experience because I was there when it happened and mm-hmm. I was numb from, for, for a few months. Um, her funeral, um, you know, a lot of rain fell and it's funny because everybody was like, boy, you know, you were so strong at the funeral, right? Like, um, I was very distracted. I kept myself very distracted at the funeral. I'm the eldest of the four, right? So from I was like a child, I was like their parent. There was, I was their mother, like Mm -hmm. their parent. (laughs) My siblings, like my sister and my brothers are afraid of me more than they are my my mom. It's true. Like if I say, I mean, this is me at, 10 years old saying no you can't go and mommy is like yes she can go I'm like no she can't go you know (laughs) um yeah like I was the strict parent you know I was like their their mom in our way and even my little sister said to me though like she's more afraid of me than (laughs) mom um because I've been very protective of them and again because we grew up in the inner city I've seen a lot of you know just a lot of the girls just you know, falling away, getting mixed up, my boys getting mixed up in gangs and stuff. And I refused to have that for my siblings. So I was very, very strict on them. And I remember I was in charge. Like I literally was in charge of everything. My mom was just, she was just there existing. (laughs) You know, my father was there trying to cope. He didn't cope any at all, you know. Um, One of my brothers, he was away. So I had to be strong. Yeah. had to be in charge yeah. and it wasn't until I saw her going down the ground at the burial at the cemetery was when I cried right but I was numb I was mm-hmm. numb for months um I managed to have conversation by now January I'm a speaker I'm an author I'm a coach so you know um while I took some time off in in December January started, you know, work starts, yeah. life starts back. And I think it was very hard for me because yeah, like, yeah, life starts back. And I'd gotten into such a routine of how she was involved in my life. I had to find a way to start coping without her. But God has been good. Were you ever mad at God? 
I think that's why I did not, I did not talk to him for a while. Mm. I was mad. So it's, it's twofold. So, you know, you love, you ever mad at your parents, but you know, you love them. Yeah. So I love, I, I don't just, I don't live this Christian walk just because I'm a Christian. Like I, I love God. I love right. Jesus Christ. I love him with all my heart, but I was mad. I was right. mad. And as a result, I just did not talk to him mm. for a while. And it's funny because I kept hearing him talking to me and I'm like, I don't think now is the time to have a conversation. I remember they had called me to speak at a, a at our school so this was the day after our funeral right so our funeral is a Sunday that called me to speak at a school on a Monday and I told him I'm no longer speaking because I decided that I'm gonna stay a Christian but I'm not going to speak I'm not going to mm-hmm. do all of that fanfare like I'm I'm not I'm over that mm-hmm. you know I'm God I'm sorry I'm not interested right. I'm, I'm not you know I'm just not right. and I remember you know, the lady was like, you know, you came very highly recommended and I really would love for you to, to come. And I told her, I'll, I'll think about it. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember I eventually went and this was the day after our funeral. <laughs> and the school is like a little bit, it was very near to her, to the burial ground. Right. And I remember being at the school and somehow managing to share her experience with the girls and you know the girls started to cry and stuff and I remember and I didn't share the experience because I wanted to cry I don't remember what was the topic I was talking about with Mm -hmm. them but just to say that they have each other right I was sharing with the girls that you got you girls have to have each other backs kind of thing and uh, I think in that moment that's when I kind of remember like I kind of stopped being so mad at God because I realized that even her story one day will become a blessing to somebody. Um, and I think probably that's when I kind of started to feel a little better towards God. Did you have any why questions for him? Because you said you were offering up your life for a young sister, 21, you feel hasn't quite lived a full life yet. And you at 31 felt like you had as far as a Christian witness or coming to know the Lord, you felt like you were in a good place to pass if you were going to pass. So did you have any why questions for God? When somebody died, I always bring up a story of Job. And I was saying to a friend, you know, why, why did God um, let Job five children die? I think that was very unfair. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're trying to prove something to Satan. And I remember my friend said to me, I said, you know, they, they would have been so young, you know, what about their purpose? Why are we always focused on, on, on Job's purpose, you know? Right. And I remember she said to me, why didn't I think that they lived their purpose? Because they die early, that means, you know, purpose of a time, you know, that you, right. you have to live 40 before you fulfill purpose. Right. And I think that response shifted my perspective because I started to see her life even in the short time that she became saved. So all her life, she has been a blessed child, right? Mm-hmm. She don't give trouble. She, you know, very honest, um, you know, really, really nice. Like she would have been a good daughter. Mm-hmm. And I remember, but when she got saved, she got a, a boldness 
um, even in the hospital, ministering to people. Mm -hmm. um, I remember the doctors just always telling us, you know, once we go visit, they're like, yo, your sister is a blessing on this. Like she's a light on the, mm -hmm. the ward, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And they would always just talk so nice about her. And I think that shifted my perspective to say, you know, even in the short time that she met, which would probably be about eight months that she was, um, you know, she knew Christ, that watched her spending time with God, telling me the things that God was telling her. Right. I watched her and I do believe that, you know, even in that time, she would have fulfilled her purpose. Mm -hmm. And that gave me peace. She sounds amazing and quite a blessing for the family, for the community and for those who knew her. What are you asking God for today when it comes to what she has left behind with regard to legacy or how she's impacted your life? What are you looking forward to that the Lord is doing? You know, I'm sure I don't know if I've thought about that question in terms of what I feel like it has been easier for us to cope to remember her but not to focus so much on her there are times like holidays her birthday is in january um you know mm -hmm. mom birthday is also in january and my dad's birthday is in february so when birthday is coming up my family has always been very big well i make them big on birthdays right so i'm yeah. big on celebrating and stuff so there are certain periods in our lives that we all kind of stop and just reminisce on how, how much we miss her and that blessing. My mechanism is just do what you need to do on a daily basis, show up on a daily basis and not worry so much about, you know, just missing her and stuff. This is what the Christian life offer. Mm -hmm. You know, even if everybody's listening to this and, you know, the feast side, you're probably remembering somebody. Here's what I want you to remember. The Christian life is built on faith and hope. And the faith and the hope is that we will see her um again right in another life mm -hmm. the word of god says you know faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of god so mm -hmm. in those down moments i play worship music mm -hmm. i you know you whisper a prayer um you know just covering up my family and you know just rem reminiscing and remembering as best as we can but not focus on lost but mm -hmm. focus on life mm -hmm. because okay. jesus is life Jesus is life. Jesus is life. Amen. Amen. Your sister didn't pass too long ago. Didn't you just come up on two year marker? Yes. So it's still fresh. I think would haves, should haves, and could haves are some of Satan's most evil tools. Did Satan try to come at you with those things? I think he tried to come at my family because my aunt and I are the most are Christians, right? The real Christians mm -hmm. in the family. I was spending Thanksgiving with my brother, with him, his new family in Seattle. And I remember how, you know, she came up and I remember just hearing a conversation with my stepdad and stuff. And they thinking that we didn't pray enough, you know, mm -hmm. probably we should have gotten our pastor to come instead of we just praying. Probably our faith wasn't strong enough, right. you know? I um, that, yeah. And I remember my mom, just saying he, even if we could have done enough god is the only like god is the only person that could have changed our circumstances and if right. he wanted to he would mm -hmm. and that's the that's what we are going to stay resolute in like satan do not have all his hands on our lives like he right. cannot determine what happens in our life god determines what she belongs to god first 
And I think even my mom approach has been one of the a blessing because she is her daughter per se. Right. Um, you know, sh- and she said, but she belongs to God first. Right. So God gives and he takes away because he, she belongs to God first. Did you feel vulnerable though to God after you see this happen? I know I felt very vulnerable to the good God that I professed. Is Did you go through any sort of vulnerability? I felt like everything was up for grabs. My kids, my grandkids, anything could happen. I don't think I did, okay. uh, to be honest. That is hard, but it is a part of life. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably it's not the best approach. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but it is a part of life. Like my grandma died last year, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, and similarly, like, you know, you grieve because you will miss the person when the memories come along. But again, I've learned not to dwell on, you know, what could have, should have, you know, because I believe in my heart that God is in charge. And if I stay, keep believing that God is in charge, nothing comes as a surprise. Yes, I miss her. Yes, I miss them. But God is in charge. And there's nothing in this life that is promised more than salvation and death. And we'll get through it. We'll get through the Holy Spirit, which is our comforter. Mm. He will take us through it. There's no one that I know of that's getting out of here alive without a vehicle to depart here on, meaning death of some sort. So you make a good point. If you trust God with where they went with their life, then there is comfort because the good God of the Holy Bible has provided an ability for us to be reunited through his son, Jesus Christ, his death on the cross and the blood that was shed for us. So he's already provided a way to healing or a way to wholeness, despite the fact there is death as a reality in our life. What sort of scriptures were you hanging on to at this time? What was getting you through on the word? I don't build my life around one scripture. Mm-hmm. I build it on his word with his promises. Mm-hmm. For me, just remembering every word and the Holy Spirit is my comforter. I'm remembering in my weakness, he's made strong. Remembering that he still has a plan and a purpose for my life. I remembering that he will work all things together for my good. It says in the beginning, um, there was a word and the word was God and the word was with God. So the, he is the word and the word is him. him. So I focus on him um, and his promises. And I listen, I know, like, as you mentioned, there are so many processes of our lives that we have been through hard. I mean, persons might think that is the worst thing that could happen, right? But probably somebody that has been raped, they feel like that's the worst thing that could happen. You know, doing an abortion, I can tell you, the pain that you got, go through, the humiliation that enemy take you through, you know, mm-hmm. the guilt that you have to go through, it feels like the hardest thing, right? Um, having a miscarriage, I had a miscarriage, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I don't even need to talk about sin causes a lot of pain in our life. And this is why we have to run to Christ Mm -hmm. because if you stay stuck in um, that if and but and, you know, Satan will, will, will play on your mind and you'll get crazy and you'll get, you know, so run to the arms of the father. Mm -hmm. And that's what I choose to do. Run to the arms of the father and build my life, not on one word, on one scripture, but on his word, on his Mm -hmm. promises that, you know, um, yeah, like, he is going to take me through this life living purposeful, impactful. And, you know, one day 
I'm here well done. And I, and that's my focus. Is there anything that stuck out to you during that time of grieving? What was God speaking to you that really soothed your soul? When I went to Bible school, you know, I was introduced to the idea of building my house on a solid rock. Mm-hmm. And that solid rock is faith in Jesus Christ, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so for years, I've learned to build my life on the faith. Mm-hmm. Faith that better will come. Faith that everything will work out. Faith that, mm-hmm. you know, there's nothing that I will go through that takes God by a surprise. Nothing I'll go through that right. he can't work out. So I think in those moments um, when I was grieving and we were grieving as a family, I think that the faith mm-hmm. is what kept us. My faith is that, you know, she's in a better place. My mm-hmm. faith is that we still have each other. We still have so much to give thanks for, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, my faith is that she was proud of me and I need to continue to make her proud, you know, even though she mm-hmm. has been gone. So I think for me, every time the enemy tried to come along, right, he was trying to steal my faith. Mm-hmm. And I had to go back to, Lord, my faith is built in you. My trust is built in you. All of that. So I think that 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 is what the Lord kept reminding me of. Every time the enemy tries to come, is my what is my faith? My faith. Yeah. And that's critical because we are faced a lot of times when we have traumas in our life, whatever that may be as individual people, Satan attaches himself to those traumas and he begins to dig a wedge between God and our beliefs and our faith system, our relationship with God. So he wants us to question God's goodness. But I love that you come back. When that, when evil presents itself and that thought process and the, the steal, kill and destroy thoughts come at you, then you fight it with the word. You go back to your faith. You're looking at God's promises. You're re- rewriting the script, if you will, and debunking anything that Satan has to say. And that's really what Christ did in the garden. Satan would come at him with a little bit of truth and God would speak the word back at him and just quiet him altogether. So I see that as very powerful and very critical for a Christian walk, um, faith, the word, the relationship, and moving through any sort of pain and suffering. You know, something that you said, and thank you, Holy Spirit, you said Satan is always trying to question us about God's goodness. Mm -hmm. And I think as a believer, from the beginning, we have to become resolute in our heart that God is good, Mm -hmm. whether situations are bad or you understand? Because that's how we came at Eve. Did God really say, you know, so it was questioning God's goodness. Mm-hmm. But if you can become resolute in your heart that God is good, even in the good times, even the bad times, right? right? When the bad times come, you remember that bad times is not um, dependent on God's character. And that's something that that's not something that you can decide when you're going through a bad time. Right. You have to decide up, like become resolute in your heart good or bad god is still god and once you become resolute in your heart up front when the bad times happen and the songwriter says you know um in the good times and bad he's still god you keep remembering the good times and the bad times he's still god in the good times and bad times he's still god Mm -hmm. what does it mean that he's still god this is how his character he still loves he still gives peace he's still good he's still merciful he's still and you remember the character Mm -hmm. of god over and over and over and get because he's still good. 
it's true. We can't look at God through one individual lens. I don't care what that lens is. You can't look at him through one lens. He is in everything and he defines everything. And so to look at him through a lens of a pain, a trauma in your life, it does not give you the full picture of who he is. And plus, even in the pain and the suffering and the trauma, God has a plan of redemption. And if we turn to him and seek him out, then we discover what that plan of redemption is. We can be included in that plan of redemption, meaning we get the benefit of it rather than stand off at a distance and watch him redeem it. But we don't want any part of it because we're too critical of what he did or we're sizing him up based on what we know. So that's a very important uh, point to make. What would you suggest to somebody how to stay in faith? Is there any sort of disciplines that one needs to have that could strengthen their ability to stay in faith despite pain and suffering? I think one, one of the things regarding this life is that we all want to be gods of our own God. Let, let's be real. Right. We all think that we know enough we want to know why what happened what happened because we want to be our own gods and guess what it's okay because god made us in his image so there's a godness that is in us right right? i think the issue comes is when we don't want to subject ourselves that there is a bigger person a bigger being that is actually in charge that actually knows better so when somebody asks a question oh why would a good god let a girl be murdered or why would a good God let people starve? Why would a good God? It means that we are trying to, we're trying to be God. We're trying to decide in our mind what happened when the truth is um, we are the ones that choose to do evil, right? A man that kills a child, he chooses to do evil, right? And I think one of the things, and Holy Spirit, this probably hurt, hit somebody wrong way, but the truth is we all do evil things. We all do evil things. We just see somebody murdering somebody with a gun as evil more than when we tell a lie on somebody. But to God, it's evil, right? It's all bad, right? right? We, we are trying to be God by trying to decide what is more bad than others, right? Even a question about um, somebody starving, but we watch people starve. That me- makes us evil because <laughs> we have enough food to share, but we prefer to, we want God to rain down manna while God wants to, to use us. This is why people are afraid to accept salvation. There's a part of us that we're afraid to accept that we are not in charge. We don't know all things. We are just created beings. Mm-hmm. So how, how have my faith been built? It sounds ridiculous because some people say, you know, you're in charge of your own destiny. And I get it. I get right. it. Mm-hmm. There are some decisions that we'll make that we are in charge of. But then there is a part of life, which is probably the major part of life that we don't have control over. Right. I did not have control at age nine, somebody molesting me. Mm. I didn't. No. (laughs) You know? Mm. Um, So I think my faith has been built on the fact that I have subjected myself to believe that there is a being Mm. that sees all things, that knows all things that loves me Mm -hmm. right even when i do evil he forgives me when i ask for it 
You understand? So how that's how my faith is built. My faith is built because I believe that there is a bigger. I don't care what the new age people or whoever want to tell you that you, you are not. You, we are created beings. So when we know that, what we do know is believe the word of the creator. God had to watch his son die. Just like how I had to experience my sister dying. He had to watch his son die. Mm. And die for people that don't even appreciate him. Mm. Die for people that spot on him. Yeah. He had he experienced it right. too. When you think about it, from Jesus was born, um, the, the, the king um sent out say imagine the, the, the thousands of little boys on the two that died. Right. Because of because he was threatened that a mm. king was coming to take over. That's evil. And if we don't, if we focus on this life, this temporary life, oh my God, if you focus on what's happening on earth, then you will live sad. You live hopeless. You live reckless, right? If you focus on what's happening now. But so when you start to focus on heavenly things, that this is just temporary, right? that God will work things out for your, my good. Mm. that even though I did an abortion, the Lord can give me a beautiful baby girl yes. that I'm now in charge of because he's a redemptive God. Amen. You understand? Yes. That's, yes. that's how your faith is built. Thank you for being so passionate about that and for sharing that because it is so key to walking faith in Christ and to having hope in the midst of pain and suffering and trauma and still have a part in experiencing the redemption of that. And I do believe that we're part of the redemption story as well, because you sharing your experience also brings the light into God's goodness, despite the evil of this life and being subject to people's decisions and the brokenness of this world. Crystal, I want to say thank you so much for your time today. You have been extremely generous and I love your passion. So I look forward to following you. Tell us, tell my listeners where they can find you. Well, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm very active on social media. Um, so definitely connect with me, tell me that you listen to me here, you know, jump in my DM and tell me that you, um, you know, connected me through here. I'm very active. I post every single day, you know. Um, also, my website, you can go on my website, www.crystalday.com, um, daylightpublishers.com, Um Yes, I'm everywhere. I'm everywhere. Uh, my podcast, Dara for Jesus Girl, um, is out there on iTunes and stuff. So, you know, I've learned that, you know, when I focus on Jesus, um, all everything else pales in comparisons. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what I choose to focus on, Jesus. That's beautiful. Crystal is C-R-Y-S-T-A-L and Day, D-A-Y-E. So Crystal Day. You can find her on all the social media and her website. Thank you again, Crystal. I look forward to our paths crossing again soon. I'll keep up with you on social media in the meantime. You take care. God bless you, Sherry. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. 
look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.